0: energy system is undergoing a huge transition, with the costs of renewable energy becoming more competitive versus traditional sources, along with increased public awareness and pressure. Renewable energy is becoming the mainstream energy source for many, no longer an alternative just for the progressive few. Listen each week as Brant Handley and Christian Crown, founding partners of Renew Executive Search, interview renewable energy and sustainability experts that are not only making a difference to the environment, but are also growing successful businesses. Listen and learn about what attracted these experts to renewables, why they've stayed in the sector, and how they are helping renewable companies create a better tomorrow. We know you'll enjoy these stories as much as Brant and Christian enjoyed recording them. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We are looking forward to you joining us as we dive deeper on how renewables are going mainstream. Jim
1: Spano's strong financial background, as well as his expertise in real estate and land development, gives him a unique perspective among solar energy developers. Mr. Spano has played a key role in development of projects for totaling over 300 megawatts. Mr. Spano is a managing partner of Spano Partner Holdings and leads other ventures as a nationally recognized expert in solar development and finance. He's the co-founder and head of originations at Radiant Reed, which would be the first solar mortgage real estate investment trust in the U.S. Established to offer long-term fixed-rate debt that enables more self-ownership for developers and healthier balance sheets. Jim is also the co-founder of MyRees, an energy storage development company using aggregated residential solar plus storage to operate as virtual power plants. Lastly, Jim has co-founder of The Above Grid, a GG development company partnered with Global Utility. He's the founder and president of the New Jersey Solar Grid Supply Association, vice president of the Mid-Atlantic Solar and Storage Industry Association, and on the board of the International Battery and Energy Storage Alliance a conference committee member of the InterSolar North America Conference and advisory board member to several renewable energy companies in the United States. Welcome to today's podcast, Jim.
2: Thank you. Uh, it's great to have you here. And, you know, we spoke a couple of weeks ago and, and told us you told us a little bit about yourself. Very excited to hear more about your involvement in renewable space. But let's just start maybe with a little bit of your backstory. Tell us about yourself and, you know, how your career path led you into the renewable sector.
3: Sure, sure. I, um, actually started uh in the solar industry uh more as a a result of a of a bad real estate uh industry when <laughs> in the when the markets the real estate market's crashed i was in the middle of developing some uh real estate projects that involve solar right and uh you know fortunately for me the Unfortunately, the real estate market crashed, but fortunately the solar market boomed and I was yeah. able to transition and that's really what brought me into when, it. When was that, Jim? Uh, that was back in uh, around 2000. I, I started in the solar industry around 2004, right. uh, but more as a, uh, as a offshoot of a, of a project, of a real estate project I was doing that I was incorporating solar. Really didn't get fully uh, involved in the solar industry until around 2008. Got it. Got it. Cool. And, and you know, did, did the
2: profitability keep you in? Was it the interest? What was the, you know, kind of the attraction? Um, you,
3: you said real estate was going up and or real estate was going down and solar was going up. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Actually, the initial attraction had nothing to do with anything other than survival. Um, <laughs> when, uh, I mean, I had a real estate portfolio that, that uh, an extensive portfolio that lost uh, over 70% of its value because Ooh, it was all land development. Ouch. Yeah. Um, and technically, on paper, uh, one could argue that I was bankrupt. Um, right. Fortunately, at the time, none of the banks foreclosed because uh, they didn't want to carry your properties, and it enabled me to recover. And and uh, uh, solar was really the the medium in which uh, uh, I, I was able to recover from the from the devastation of the real estate development yeah. business. How did that happen? Tell us a little bit about that backstory. It's very interesting. Sure. I was um, actually developing a half a million square foot mall in central Jersey, and uh, uh, I was uh, putting a small, just three quarter megawatt solar system over a detention pond Hmm. with the intent of uh, not necessarily having a profitable solar project, but as a marketing scheme in order to market my uh, mall project as the first all green mall in the U.S., um, had tremendous success. Uh, Target, uh, a big sustainability company, was my anchor, and of course, when the markets crashed and Target terminated their contract, and I lost all my other infill uh, infill leases, um, I was basically left with uh, a farm field with a with a huge note. And uh, uh, when the note came came up for renewal after the termination of all my development uh, contracts, uh, it appraised that. Uh, I, Was it about twenty percent of its original value? Ouch! Um, And at that appraisal rate, I had a fifty or forty-five percent loan to value. So when it appraised at less than thirty percent loan to value, I was literally underwater. (laughs) Right. Um, right. And it was the (laughs) solar that actually enabled me to survive. I I Hmm. increased that solar field, uh, you know, by five x. Sold it to the local utility, enabled me to pay down my note a little bit, and to refinance the balance of the note under uh, using the ground lease to service the debt on a on the uh, uh on the uh, balance which enabled me to uh keep the property and uh as i said earlier the property today, I have a contract for $28 million uh, for uh, real estate lots that I've sold to a uh, builder. And I still have 175,000 square feet of retail space that I retained for myself. Awesome. Yeah. And for one for the solar, that would have never, uh, never would have happened. So, so today
2: you're obviously providing consulting. as We talked a little bit before in our previous meeting and, and, and in the, and, and the introduction. So, are you advising others kind of how to do the same? Because you really have a unique niche as you're combining, you know, real estate investment and in, 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 in the solar industry. What's
3: that look like? Yeah, that's actually interesting. I'm I'm a huge uh, supporter of the industry in general. I'm you know involved in everything from policy, finance, development, all aspects of the business, and. I do believe in it, and uh, as a result, I've made a a mission out of uh, bringing the ability to increase the renewables in our country, Um, and most of my businesses have been focused on either uh, uh, the proliferation of solar in the U.S. or Mm. the introduction of low and middle income uh, participation into the solar or into the transition of our grid. Um, so those are the two main areas that I've been focused on. And, uh, uh, obviously my, one of your first questions was what brought you into the industry? And, you know, my response was survival. Um, (laughs) what what keeps me in the industry is really my belief in what I'm doing and, and the goals that we've been accomplishing and the results that we're actually, uh, getting to see, um, by way of example, in New Jersey here, uh, where I've been a significant, participant in in the industry both from a policy and uh development perspective um we've managed to for a small state we're one of the largest uh, solar states in in the u s mm. and um you know i'm i'm proud to have been a a significant contributor to that being the largest privately owned uh developer in, in new jersey so uh, i think it's a great story i think it's a great uh mission and uh i, I think we all benefit from a cleaner environment, so it, it's yeah. doing good, doing good.
2: All right. That's awesome. And, and it sounds like you're making industry contributions as well as client contributions, right? You're, you're a member of a couple of industry boards, from what I understand, as well as working
3: directly with folks in the industry? Um, yeah. I actually take a three-pronged approach. I look at it from uh, a policy perspective where we promote uh, policies that encourage development, mm. I look at it from a uh development perspective where we facilitate processes that enable uh, uh projects to be built at lower costs, reducing soft costs, and so forth and then the third approach of course, is from a finance perspective, lowering the cost of capital, which will enable more projects to get built um and i've uh am a principal in a and a founder of a the first solar mortgage REIT in the u s which is providing low-cost capital uh, to developers and eliminating all the upfront capital that's needed to develop projects uh, out of a developer's pocket, so that they have the ability to significantly increase their activities, which of course benefits all of society and mm. resulting
1: in a cleaner environment. Awesome, Christian. Over to you. So, tell, Jim, tell us a little bit more about sort of how, how are you helping the communities in your read? Okay, let's uh, talk about the one
3: one of the problems I- in any. Emerging industry is until it becomes a mainstream industry, capital sources are difficult uh, to obtain and the capital cost is high. Um, What we did is we tried to bring the solar industry back into the mainstream real estate industry, which, of course, is where my background was. Um, and by treating real estate, I'm sorry, by treating solar systems as real estate and getting the IRS to acknowledge that they are, in fact infrastructure, which is real estate, we've been able to get longer tenor on our loans, meaning that uh, the the upfront capital cost of a system can be amortized over a longer period of time. And what that does is it enables uh, significantly better financing alternatives. Um, which is what Radiant REIT being just one of those alternatives. And at the end of the day, by lowering the cost of capital, lowering all the upfront costs that developers need to apply for that capital, um, it enables developers to build more projects. And by building more projects, it enables Radiant REIT to issue more loans. And the more loans we make and the more projects that get built, the more solar that we have and the less fossil fuel Electric generation that we rely on, and one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is the the major contribution that we're making in the solar industry today, um, particularly for the more innovative companies that have begun uh, incorporating energy storage into their solar systems. Um, by doing that, we're providing significantly greater uh, resiliency to to the grid, but more importantly, we're we're enabling more people to participate and enabling more, less reliance on peaker plants. And that is where a lot of people don't realize it, but over 70% of the carbon emissions from, gen, from electric generation are actually coming from peaker plants, wow. despite the fact that 90 something percent of the actual power comes from baseload plants. Hmm. Um, these peaker plants are super high pollutants and if we can put our solar systems and incorporate storage um we can respond instantly to to energy demands to the grid and by being able to respond immediately it means we don't have to turn those peaker plants on while we wait for those base load plants to rev up and, and to charge and to up adjust them. so as as uh by eliminating the need for peaker plants Even though solar is only a couple of percentage of the of the total electric generation uh, in the U.S. today, um, that solar is actually having a significant impact on the need for these peaker plants to fire up, and that obviously has a far more significant impact to uh, our environment than closing a single coal plant. Um, Closing down a peaker plant is is that should be the very first objective Mm. of the renewable industry.
1: That's very sort of uh, very fascinating and very exi- exciting work to getting financed that area. What do you see as some of the most significant obstacles of moving forward with these uh, or getting out of the pico plants? I think the biggest obstacle really is
3: policy. And that's why it's important that the leaders in the industry don't just focus on their businesses and profitability, but take the time to work with their legislators, their utility commissioners, um, and all the other stakeholders to promote policies that will encourage the, the proliferation of solar and storage, um, which is really the ultimate goal of reducing climate change. So the more that that we can the, the, the biggest obstacle we have really is the the tariffs and the policies and 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 Means to capture the value that solar plus storage is actually providing to mm. the grid. Mm. Um, with a with we all recognize that there is a value that uh, a significant value. Um, it's just certain states have taken initiatives to provide either incentives or or require uh, or have policies and rules regulations that require certain behaviors by the utilities that that enable. Uh, uh, more penetration of solar plus storage and less reliance on those peaker plants. So I, I think the biggest single obstacle is right now was uh, uh, policy and right behind it is cost of capital. Um, hmm. Most solar systems are financed under what are called mini perm uh, yeah. debt. Mini perm debt means that you have seven to 10 year terms on your debt And you have significant default risks because you have balloon payments, you have interest rate risks because each time you have to renew a seven-year note. And if you think about it, if you have a 30-year asset like a solar system is, and you only have a seven-year note, four times you're going to (laughs) face default risk (laughs) and interest
2: rate adjustment risk. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Who knows what the economy will do over that period of time?
3: Sure, you're talking 30 years. Go back 30 years and look at all the volatility in in the market. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. What Radian Read has done is it's come in and brought a product into the market um, that that enables developers to mitigate all of that risk. Mm. And by mitigating all of that risk, <coughs> excuse me, by mitigating the risk, you've you've lowered that cost of capital. And with that lower cost of capital, projects, more projects can pencil and get built with less incentives from uh you know public sources. And ultimately
1: the the in consumer rate payer or yes. rate payer. Yeah. Fantastic. Could you, it was very interesting hearing you talk about the policy changes. Can you give us some of the example of where policy has gone in the right direction?
3: Sure. Sure.
1: I, I think the best examples right here in
3: New Jersey, uh, and it's a good example because I was significantly involved in the most recent policy changes. We had a, uh, potential crash in our solar market and, uh, The stakeholders, everything from industry experts to uh, uh, staff in the in the public utility commission to the legislature, uh, everybody got together, worked together to to address the the uh, potential crash and make the adjustments necessary to encourage responsible development of solar. Mm -hmm. Um, Back in, I guess it was probably in early 2017, we. You know, you could look into your crystal ball and see that the New Jersey SREC market was was overbuilt, which would result in more SRECs being generated than than were required. Which, as we all know, in an oversupplied market, it results in a price depression. With price depression, it means lowered economics to the projects, which means that projects may not be able to meet their debt obligations and uh obviously that results in in foreclosures and and uh results in the complete opposite of the state goal to increase solar uh we don't want solar plants going going dark because of uh financial stress right so we uh we got together we create uh we formed a board of industry experts everything from the top developers in new jersey to uh industry representatives like, uh, SIA or, um, you know, some of the more local regional, uh, uh, associations, uh, like messiah Um, and we, we, uh, put a group together, which, uh, I chaired and, uh, we, uh, not only drafted, uh, legislation, we promoted, uh, uh, that legislation through the, through through the legislature. We uh, supported through the BPU uh, order implementation process. Um, and in May of 2018, we got the Clean Energy Act mm. uh, passed. That Clean Energy Fantastic. Act uh, resulted in a significant increase in renewables in New Jersey. Um, and we're all currently uh, operating under a, a replacement SREC program called a TREC program, mm. which again was the result of a a group of stakeholders getting together devising the strategy the plans that met the terms of the law and still supported the the continued growth of the industry um, by having the experts in the industry the guys that really know what's going on you know the guys that that are able to lift the covers and and understand the workings you know behind the the scenes by getting those folks together you get enough brain power to come up with solutions that individuals and legislatures individually don't necessarily have the skills, talents, knowledge to, to do on their own. So I think that whole stakeholder process uh, is imperative to good policy decision-making. And I think good policy is necessary in order to address all social concerns, uh, our climate being just one of the more significant ones today.
2: Any specific case studies, uh, Jim, that you can share with us that aren't confidential, perhaps that uh, relate to maybe some of your direct clients? I mean, it's just a fascinating area in terms of how
3: that's evolved. Sure, I could kind of dance around a, an example. Um, there was a developer in Washington that was developing a large portfolio of community solar projects in New York. Um, when New York developed the current program, which is a VETER and NEM program, uh, value of distributed, distributed energy resources and, uh, net energy metering. Um, the idea was that there would be a, a balancing. So that is costs and price of electricity is adjusted up or down. As one went up, the other would go down and we'd have a stabilized value of, of, uh, uh, the power that that is being injected into the system through the solar by the solar systems mm. um unfortunately the the theory on paper was great the practicality of the application into the marketplace resulted in a imbalance that uh made community solar projects uh not pencil in New York so we had literally gigawatt plus of of projects that were mm. that were stranded mm-hmm. um I took the uh, uh, principles of of that um, uh of one of those developers out of Washington. We went up and met with the chair of the energy commission in new york and we addressed the the issue uh and educated the legislator as to the uh as to the issue and the impact of the issue and we were able to get the uh PUC to make the adjustments necessary to make uh, uh, to in- to attain the goals that were set when the community solar program was set All up, right. um, and that were being inhibited or impeded by the uh, uh, unintentional imbalance between the NEM and the VETER. So, by uh, bringing that to their attention and then addressing it, we now have, uh, in fact, that that particular developer I worked with to. Uh, on a 92 megawatt community solar portfolio in New York, and we managed to get it financed and built. And uh, uh, many others did as well as a result of that policy. So uh, that's the kind of work that's needed by the leaders in the industry when we identify problems that impede the ability to attain the goals that the legislature and the the clean energy uh, goals that the legislature set up.
1: Jim, you previously mentioned and, and spoke about the benefits of storage and sort of the outlook of storage. I'm just curious to hear you get your view sort of both on the policy side and the cost of storage, and, and, and where do you see the future is heading? Well, let's start with
3: an overview, saying that storage. Well, first, we all recognize that storage is necessary if we're going to continue the penetration of renewables of intermittent power sources right. into the into the grid. Exactly. So we all recognize that there's storage is needed. Different types of storage: there's battery storage, there's uh, uh, pumped storage, there's uh, um, pendulum storage. There's there's all different forms, a means of of storing. Ice storage. You can you can store power in, in all different ways. Where policy comes in is what is the most economical way, the most efficient way to store excess generation that's generated during intermittent periods where the wind is blowing, the sun's shining, the the water's flowing uh, uh, beyond the and and generating power beyond the immediate demand needs. Mm -hmm. Um, We need to be able to store that power so that when the uh, wind stops blowing or the sun stops shining, the water's flowing slowly and not as much generation uh, that we can reach into those storage facilities and access that, Power that was overgenerated during uh, the alternative times. Right now, in order to do that, the we we ha- we have to get to a scale, which means we have to drive prices down. And the only way you bri- drive prices down is by scaling it. And in order to scale it, you need policy to encourage and make up that delta between the economics needed and the economics available until the you can drive costs down to where there's less and less and eventually no incentive needed. Um, and that's what happened in the solar industry. We're seeing incentives get dramatically cut from state to state to state. Right. Right. We're seeing mm-hmm. the ITC getting cut back. So we're less reliant on those incentives now because we've driven the cost of solar down through the significant scale that, that uh, we've achieved. The same thing is now going to happen in the storage industry mm-hmm. and the same process mm-hmm. is going to have to happen. The same combination of Policy work, same combination of scale and economics, uh, the same, uh, all the same drivers that that made solar and wind more economical are are now going to come into play in the in the storage industry. Now, as far as the practicality of storage, um, I I happen to own a solar plus storage company called MyResi. That company. Aggregates many individual residential solar plus storage systems into virtual power plants so that we're able to, through uh, software and controls, we're able to operate thousands of small home systems, uh, aggregate them, and have the same response and capability that large grid uh, uh, sized storage systems provide. So rather than building a 20 megawatt system that sits in one area and that power gets stored and then it gets has to get released and go through that whole grid system to get downstream to where the power is needed, right. we have the storage located right with the generation. You're pairing yeah. and matching storage and generation. That way, from the individual homeowner or the individual commercial buildings perspective, um, they have the resiliency so that when the grid goes out, they have that stored power that they can rely on. They have the ability to load shift so that when electric prices go high because of increased demand, um, they can pull poor power out of that storage system rather than off the grid. And then they can replace the power in the storage system when the sun shines, wind blows, or whatever the source of the renewable is that's, yeah. that's in that particular facility. that. Whatever the generation is, but the key is by pairing storage with the with the renewable at the generation site, you have no loss of transmission. The power is immediately available on site, which provides that resiliency to the uh, property owner. Um, and and when you when you think about the ability uh, of of End of the distribution system paired solar and storage. Now let mm. me repeat that. Mm. End of the distribution system. So we're we're where those lines, the the where the power, the last people to get the power. So if there's a high demand on a on a transmission or a distribution line, and you follow that line all the way down, there's demand being pulled off that line all the way down. And the guy that's at the very end, the very last guy to pull power off that line is the first guy that loses power. Right. The All first right. guy that has signal infrequencies, has you know per, has those surge protectors start clicking on. Mm. Um, what we're doing is we're putting the, the storage back at that very end of the distribution line. Mm. Now, if you think about it, by doing it this way, I can throw power up into the distribution lines all the way through into the transmission lines because you can send power up into the grid. Mm. But you can't send power from a storage system. If a storage system is is at a at a at facility, up. you know, seven miles away, and I now need to draw power from that, I'm still at the very end of the distribution system. Everybody <laughs> right. else is going to get that power before I see any of it. Huh. So what we're doing is we're saying to, uh, uh, we, we've built a, Model that's that aggregates residential energy, solar plus storage. Mm-hmm. So, what we do is we say that if I can put if I can provide those homeowners when a, who are at the greatest risk of brownouts because they're at the end of the distribution system, mm-hmm. if I can provide them power when the grid goes out and enable them to remain in their homes instead of being relocated, like what happened in you know Sandy and Katrina and all these right. big storms. Um, and by the way, those you know, we got to remember these hundred year storms are now every other year. (laughs) Yes. Right. right. So they're not hundred year storms anymore. You know, that's what climate change has done. That's right. Um, And the only way to really prepare for that is to have resiliency. And uh, by way of example, in New Jersey here, my very first project, my very first virtual power plant project um, is a project that I did with the disabled community. Mm. I, what I, what I did is I, uh, went to i'm i'm on the board of a of a the largest uh uh nonprofit that advocates for people with disabilities mm. um uh, we have like i don't know we're in 14 different states uh couple hundred million dollar budget so we're a sizable organization so i went to my own organization i said look i'm gonna put free solar and storage in, in all of your group homes and anywhere where where they fit um and I'm not going to charge anything. In fact, not only am I not going to charge you, I'm going to give you all, all, all of our people with disabilities resiliency. I'm not going to charge you. And in fact, I'm even going to lower your electric rate. Wow. Now you think about this. During, during a power outage, the most vulnerable citizens in our society are the people that are living in these group That's homes. Right. that are taken out yeah. of the institutions. Oh, yeah. They Absolutely. live in group homes. They're on right. medical devices. They're yeah. 24-hour care. Very dependent on energy. Huh? Right. And power goes out. Their oxygen machine stops. They're sent right. to a hospital. They're, you have an, an ambulance come pick them up. They're taken to a hospital. With my system now in all these homes, they get to stay in those homes They that have their great. power.
2: Yeah.
3: It shifts you know, right over. We, know, we don't think about that. If there's an electric, you know, electric goes out in my home for a couple hours. Generator kicks on, or you wait a couple of hours till the electricity comes on. Right, right. In these homes, they don't. They you have can't, to be transported immediately. don't have immediately that luxury. Yeah, yeah, They've got to keep um, machines running. And right. guess who – and here's the killer. Who pays for that transportation? The government. Yeah, sure. Who's, who's the only one that doesn't benefit from the solar incentives? The government. Yeah. Here's an interesting thing. We, we subsidize all of these group homes. We literally pay for all the power in all these group homes. But because they're technically low income, they don't qualify for solar. Right. They can't, they can't so they don't actually so get the benefit. And yeah. what's even worse is not only do they not get the benefit of the reduced cost, the power savings, but all the other people, non government, that are going solar and saving all their avoided costs for transmission and distribution, yeah. it's all being put onto the people that can't go solar, which is our government. Right, right. It's, 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 it's actually Crazy. so. What I did is I said, look, let me give all give all the people the resiliency and let the grid get the benefit so that all the rest of the citizens in New Jersey get the benefit of a stabilized grid. And the value of that of that benefit is what pays for the storage units yeah, to be put into fantastic. these homes. Great, great case study, Jim.
2: I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, as you know, at Renew Executive Search, you know, we work with clients and candidates globally or seeking to, you know, get into the renewable space. They want the best client. They want the best job. They want the best talent. But many folks are looking at renewables. And, and this is, of course, a, a way to tell them more about it. Uh, you got into it more by default than design, right? <laughs> to, for survival purposes. <laughs> so right. You know, now that, you, now that you've been in it 15, 16 years, you know, what kind of qualifications do you think are needed to succeed in the renewables in this industry?
3: Interestingly, I've seen people from all different industries, but you'll see a, a, a large segment of uh, real estate developers have mm. gone into solar development. Yeah. And it's because it is so similar to real estate development. In fact, that was Radiant Reed's whole platform is that it is real estate. So you see a lot of real estate developers. You see a lot of uh, uh, financial guys that come into the market because they recognize the the tax benefits from from the ITC that have been av- and the you know uh, uh bonus depreciation that we've been uh provided so you you see a lot of people from those industries start getting into solar development right what specific right. skill set do you need just general business you know good business sense yeah. it's yeah. uh it's no different than any other i i I compare it to just any other real estate business, right, right?
2: Obviously, you know you've kind of adapted the the doing good for the environment, right? As part of you've seen, and I, I I love that example about you know folks. I, I know that my mother, um, when she was still living, you know was one in one of those facilities, and they actually went through that power outlet, and it was it was a major traum- traumatic experience. You know, fortunately, they had you know generators and backups, but they had to move some of the people out, and you know that just has such a great social impact. You know, what what more does it take? You know, do you think to be successful other than you know Know, wanting to do good i mean is it uh, you know a, a function of of really wanting to have a commitment to you know climate change and and having impact on that is it is it you know having a good profit profitable sense you know looking at it as a business right versus looking at it as as doing good what well, you know as you look around and you work with people now in these last 5 to 15 years where where would you say that that
3: skill set is where does that fall i think that is just a general entrepreneurial Mm. skill set. So yeah. if you've had entrepreneurial experience and you've started or, or uh, run businesses in the past, I don't think there's anything special about this. In fact, I think mm. it's one of the simpler businesses to run. Certainly mm. a lot a lot easier than the real estate business was, you know, commercial real estate business right. was to right. run. Right. Um, so no, I, I think that if you have, if you're have an inclination to take risk as entrepreneurs do, I think, that you, you can do very well in, in the industry. And by the way, I think we're still very early in the industry. There's so much opportunity out there. Every day I'm turning around, passing up opportunities because you just can't take advantage of everything mm. that crosses uh, your yeah. desk. Right. Right. Awesome. Um, lastly, Jim, we always
2: like to ask this question of all our participants. You know, What words of advice and counsel would you give to those that are maybe looking to grow their renewables career or perhaps entering it for the first time? Well, the first
3: advice I would give is your reputation is paramount, mm-hmm. particularly mm-hmm. in an emerging industry where there is risk and uncertainty. Um, people need to be able to rely on your words. So your, your integrity is, I think, the, is one of the key characteristics that, that you'll need in order to succeed in the industry. Beyond that, I think that a, a strong sense of responsibility to uh, the community. I think that's a, a, in order to succeed in this business, you're dealing with many, many local businesses, many government, uh, uh, agencies. If, if, if you're not coming into this business with the expectation that, that you're going to have to work your butt off, (laughs) um, then you're then stay away because this is not an easy business. But once you, once you get the, the, you know, your your processes in place and, and your relationships established, it's a very rewarding business. Well, Jim Spano, managing partner of Spano
2: Partners and founder of Radiant Reed. thank you so much for sharing your insights about how uh,
3: Renewables is going mainstream. It's been my pleasure. Glad to be here today.
1: Thank you for listening to Renewables Going Mainstream with Brand
3: Hanley and Christian Crown, partners at Renew Executive Search. We hope you enjoyed hearing our renewable industry experts' stories as much as we enjoyed recording them. If you want to learn more about this fast-growing sector and learn how you can become more involved, please subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brand Christian, Renewable Executive Search, and the booming renewables industry, visit www.go4renew.com. That's www.go the number four, renew.com.
1: We look forward to having you join us for our next episode of Renewables Going Mainstream.